0: Welcome to The Gold Exchange with Keith Wiener, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. And now on to today's episode.
1: Hello again, and welcome to The Gold Exchange Podcast. I'm John Flaherty, and I'm here with Keith Wiener, founder and CEO of Monetary Metals. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Monetary Metals Gold Outlook for 2021, which was recently published on our website. Predictions, as you know, for the dollar price of precious metals have a pretty wide range to say the least. And those who assure us that gold and silver will be dramatically up by the end of the year seem to always point to inflation expectations or the Fed balance sheet as the main drivers. Of course, those people always expect inflation and the Fed's balance sheet, well, always increases. As usual, We will try to dig beneath the surface a bit and ground our discussion in some timeless principles about gold and the market forces that affect it. So, Keith, everyone wants to know what gold is going to do, particularly in this era of massive interventions by governments and central banks. You have written extensively about the concept called basis and its corollary co-basis. Could you please define these terms for us and explain their critical relevance as indicators for gold markets? Yeah, sure.
0: So the basis is the difference between the price in the futures market and the price in the spot market. So if you can buy gold at let's say 1740 in the spot market and sell it for let's say June delivery for 1760 in the futures market, there's a twenty dollar profit or twenty dollar spread to be earned. And then if you annualize that and say, okay, that's, what is that, three months, $20. So that's close to 3%, something like that. And you can compare that to a rate of interest. Uh, And that's critically important because as banks and other major financial players are always looking to compare, can we do this, can we do that, where can we make more money? And also they borrow, in order to do this trade, they borrow dollars, typically at LIBOR, plus some little spread, buy the gold, sell it forward, warehouse it, in the middle, and then make that spread. So, to understand this concept, you really got to think in terms of what is physically going on. So, I like to use the example of a grain market, especially before you know global trade and grain can be brought in from other climate zones. You know, North America, especially the northern part of of the U.S. Uh, I understand that the wheat harvest is like you know first week of August. Maybe that's right. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Suppose you were to drive an empty grain truck up to one of those grain elevator towns in the northern, you know, upper Midwest, and you did that like July 30 and said, How much to fill this here grain truck up? Well, they'd be laughing at you. I I imagine that, you know, they'd be going through the silos, cleaning them, you know, the pops would be flipped open, you know, like a lid, and, you know, they'd be hosing everything down, anticipating the harvest coming in. But nobody has any grain at that moment. So if you take out a, a wad of $100 bills, The only way you're going to get any green is somebody's going to make a phone call and then some truck that's halfway to a bakery or brewery uh, in Wisconsin is going to be turned around. You're going to have to pay them more profit to break that contract and sell it to you than they make by simply delivering on it. Uh, And so let's say you would find that the price to buy a, a bushel of wheat was whatever, $17. But if you're willing to wait for September delivery, you know, another month later, then the price would be $7. So that's a inversion of what I just said earlier, gold in the spot market being 1740, gold for June delivery being, and these are just made up numbers. That's not necessarily the case right now. What I just described in wheat is the opposite. That is the price in the spot market is higher than the price in the futures market. Well, if that's the case, then all it takes, somebody can make $10 per bushel by selling spot and buying futures. There's just one catch. You have to have the bushel of wheat in order to do that trade. And so when you see contango, which is the first case that I described, it generally means that market's in normal conditions. And that means that there's some abundance of the commodity uh, available in in the spot market for for delivery right now and backwardation. What I just described in the green market means that the commodity isn't available. The reason why I bring up lead examples so people can see the actual physical reality of what shortage means and why that the day before the harvest comes in, nobody has any wheat lying around. It's all been consumed and sold. They're waiting for the harvest the next day. Backwardation shouldn't be able to occur in gold because virtually all of the gold ever mined in human history is still in human hands, but it does intermittently occur in gold. And that indicates not a scarcity of the metal per se, because all that metal mined over 5,000 years is somewhere, but rather a scarcity of metal offered to the market. And so that's a scarcity of trust and um, a harbinger uh, of higher or potentially much higher prices when it occurs.
1: Got it. So this trade you referred to is called the carry trade, basically the profit from holding gold and selling a future against it? Right, so if you're if you're
0: borrowing cash to buy the commodity in the spot market, stick it in a warehouse and then sell it on some futures contract or some forward, then that's carrying it. And then inversely, if you are selling something out into the spot market and then buying a future to recover your position, that would be decarry.
1: Gotcha. So the basis then becomes the profit on the carry trade, and then the co-basis is basically its inverse. Do I have that right? The profit to decarry?
0: Profit on the decarry, which normal in a normal market should be negative. There should not be a profit to decarry.
1: Okay, so what is the normal behavior of basis in a quote unquote normal market? Well, one basis
0: should be above zero. Um, unless there's some dislocation or some shortage or whatever. Uh, and then number two, price can move around all, the, all over the place, um, kind of like a random number, kind of like clicks on a Geiger counter. But spreads in markets should be much more stable because the, the spread in this case, in the case of the wheat market, is, is essentially indicating the cost of interest plus the cost of storage in a grain elevator plus um, the marginal profit for the marginal warehouseman. That shouldn't be moving around all that much, and generally it doesn't, again, unless there's some crisis or dislocation or something like that. Um, in the case of gold, the cost of storage is essentially negligible. Think of compared to wheat, which is so much more bulky and has requirements of light and humidity and bugs and so on. And so the the basis in gold should be you know, nominally above uh uh LIBOR.
1: Gotcha. So in your article, you define an important concept. You alluded to it earlier in your grain example, this concept of stocks to flows. How is this relevant to the gold and silver markets? So in all normal commodities,
0: if there's such a thing as a glut, that is a little bit of you know production comes in, let's say in the case of wheat, it's a really great year, just the right exact combination of sun and rain and the insect population is low that year. And for whatever reason, grain production is up 1% compared to what was expected. Well, that, that produces a glut, and uh, the price drops or it can even crash. So uh, that's a signal to producers not to produce so much at the next harvest. And at the same time, the lower price is an incentive to the marginal consumer of grain to use wheat and substitute wheat for who knows, potato or um, corn or whatever other grain they're using. But in the case of gold, and to a slightly lesser extent, silver, there is no such thing as glut. We've been accumulating stuff for 5,000 years. And so you can measure as ratio stocks, which is total accumulated inventory, divided by annual production. And if you do that using the official numbers, the World Gold Council works with all the governments and the central banks and brinks and the commercial banks and everybody else to try to add up what they think is all the gold ever produced in human history, I think that's prone to being underestimated. But be that as it may, with the number they come up with and you divide that by the amount that the miners are producing in the current year, you know, you end up with decades. And in any other commodity, it's it's months. So, so in gold, it's like 200,000 tons. You know, 300 tons a year gives you a ratio of something like 60, what would that be, 66, something like that. That's why you can't... You can't do conventional supply and demand analysis on gold. You can't say, well, this mine in South Africa is going offline and therefore the supply of gold is going to decrease. No, the supply of gold is not just what's coming out of the mines. It's also all of the extant, uh, accumulated hoard over five millennia. That's all potential supply at the right price and under the right conditions.
1: So in your article, there is a section entitled How We Analyze the Gold Market here at Monetary Metals. And you give a brief description of the five main actors who are driving the market. Why don't you walk us through those, starting with the buyers and sellers of metal? Right. So that, that's the core of the market and
0: everyone else is either feeding off of them or providing a service. So buyers of metal is anybody worldwide. So if the population of the world is what approaching 8 billion people now, there's 8 billion people on the planet who potentially are buyers of gold, and will buy gold under the right conditions. Now, what's the right conditions for an American sitting in an air conditioned office, staring at a you know a newsfeed? It could be that uh, Biden says that, oops, you know, remember that 1.9 trillion that we said we were going to spend? Well, let's make it 2.9 because uh, good measure. And then standing standing behind him is is Bernie and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Nancy Pelosi. And maybe that person says, you know. Son of a gun. I'm going to finally bite the bullet and buy some gold. So everybody has a different uh, uh, set point. And then also, you know, somebody might own a little bit of gold and then they see that news release and maybe they buy more. So the buyer of metal is anybody who is deciding to opt out for any reason from the paper dollar system. Uh, The sellers are people who either feel the price has hit their target or the price has gone down. So it's a stop loss or it's people that need the liquidity. Maybe they have a debt they have to pay and their revenues weren't as good as they expected them to be.
1: Yeah, I think we saw that in the COVID panic, as it were the price of gold rather than take off, it retreated briefly. I think that was one of the explanations. More people just need liquidity. They're covering stop losses or whatever and gold served its purpose. It was liquid and able to come to the rescue in that sense. You buy into that? It's, it's
0: liquid versus say, if you own real estate in New York City, That might be worth a lot of money, but it's not liquid. And you're not going to be able to sell it quickly, even in a good market. So anyway, so that's, so sellers are people who either need liquidity or get sick and tired of it, or their fears are not realized. And they're like, you know, why am I holding this metal? It's unproductive. All of these things are always constantly feeding back with the real economy and the real economy is feeding back into these factors. Now buyers and sellers of paper are speculators in the case of metal. And and there's certainly speculation in metal too, but um, a very large percentage of the people that are buying metal are doing so with very long-term time horizons. You know, if if somebody has made a lot of money, he's in his fifties and he's trying to set up a intergenerational wealth plan for his kids. He's maybe got one or two grandkids already, and he's anticipating great-grandkids and he's setting up some sort of estate plan. Gold almost always plays. A role in something like that and the time horizons are decades you know in india when they get married you know there's gold involved in the dowry um, as much as they can afford usually but in the case of paper it's it's a shorter term play because they're doing it with leverage which means there's risk well it's hot i mean if the price goes up a little bit with leverage you're getting a big gain so they're happy they're happy with that if it goes down obviously big losses And and there's also a cost uh, essentially, you're paying interest one way or the other for that trade. So the the paper market uh, there are people that are hedging, which we're not going to talk about too much today, but just the speculators uh, are, are short shorter term traders. Maybe maybe it's a day trade, maybe they're trading for a few weeks, but they don't have the same horizons and they don't have the same motivators that the uh, buyers and sellers of metal do. And then finally there's the warehouseman as we described, Even though everyone focuses on him and says, look at his short position, he's long physical metal, which they may or may not see the metal inventory that the warehouseman has. It isn't necessarily only in a a COMEX-approved warehouse. And he's there. He's price indifferent. He's price agnostic. He doesn't care about price. He cares about spread. So what will motivate him to put on more carry trade is a rise in the basis. What will motivate him to take off some carry trade is a fall in the basis, especially if it goes negative and the co-basis goes positive, now the market is paying him a profit to lift his carry trade.
1: Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And you've been writing the supply and demand report for years now. And I've always appreciated how, as you're breaking down the chart, you're putting it into, into the context of these actors. Here's what the paper is doing. Here's what the metal is doing. This is what this means as you're analyzing basis relative to the price chart. So let's now move to wrap up here. A lot of gold investors believe that the dollar price of gold will go up because, as we mentioned, inflation. And when the gains don't materialize, you often see the chorus of those who cry manipulation grow louder and louder. You have a different explanation for what is driving the dollar price of gold. What is that? Well, I hinted at it earlier when I was talking
0: about buyers at metal. It's interesting to look at the start of covid as uh, an interesting and defining moment for a lot of new people to the gold market. Before COVID, let's say January last year, you know, the interest rate on a 10-year treasury was something like 8%, which had been coming down a bit. I mean, um, October the year prior, so 15 months before that, was, um, was it 3.2%, something like that. At 3.2% or 1.8%, there's some yield to be had there. There is a case to be made, you know, if you need to hold the cash balance to hold it there. And then COVID hit, you know, two things happened. One, the interest rate plunged to 0.5%, you're sucking all you know almost all of the yield out of that investment. Of course, anybody who had bought it in January was sitting on a nice big fat capital gain and maybe thinking of taking profits as well. But going forward, no yield there. So at the same time that the reward or the return for taking that investment has gone way down, the risk had gone up dramatically. So the U.S. government, before covid so the, tw- the 12 months ending March 31, but right before the, the CARES Act was, was enacted, I want to say March 29, so let's just assume that for those 12 months you know, ending March 31, the, the CARES Act spending had not kicked in yet. The government had increased its debt by $1.7 trillion. Now, they quote a lower deficit number. There's some accounting gimmick. Every once in a while, when I want to have a few f- free minutes, I try to research and figure out what's the gimmick. I haven't figured it out yet. But you know, on a, on a cash basis, 1.7 trillion was the increase in the government's debt. Then they passed 2.3 trillion dollar CARES Act, followed almost immediately by another half a trillion. So let's call the CARES Act all in 2.8 trillion dollars. At the same time, they locked down the economy, which meant that tax revenues were surely going to drop, you know, drastically. You know, you add the 2.8 to the 1.7 trillion that was already existing, and now you're looking at and, and then add a tax shortfall to it, you're surely looking at over $5 trillion cash shortfall for the government. So the risk of being a lender to this drunken sailor, if I can use that analogy, has gone up dramatically. And as we said, the return for doing so has gone down dramatically. So what do you do when um, risk goes up and return goes down? Maybe you look for alternatives. Gold always stands out. Uh, and silver also and at that time the gold silver ratio was so extremely high that it was it was logical if you're thinking of precious metals to buy silver Um, and we saw at that time institutional investors talking about silver and buying silver Uh, where normally institutions don't touch silver it's gold gold exclusively as a uh, as an opt-out you know choice as an exit door from being in the in the shoot of you know the, the sacrificial animals are all penned in the pasture is all, is all penned in and they keep moving the fence in tighter and tighter, gold is the one way to get out you know, before they push you down the sacrificial chute. So to really understand changes in the price of gold, you have to understand what is causing the marginal non-gold owner to decide to own gold or what's causing the marginal gold owner to decide to cease owning it. it can, you can kind of think of it as a race condition term from computer software between dollar holders that are getting sick and tired of the higher risk and the lower returns versus gold owners that either getting sick and tired of waiting for the, you know, magic price of $50,000 an ounce that never materializes, or I don't think most of them are waiting for that frankly, uh, or that are forced by other circumstances to liquidate because they need cash.
1: So to conclude with a drum roll, what is monetary metals call for gold and silver by the end of the year?
0: I think in in gold we're going to see $2000 plus. So, you know, right after COVID we did hit over $2000 and then it came back down, but I think I think the trend is going to be up and and perhaps seeing 2000 for the last time. And then if we had a gold silver ratio of 60, which is a little closer to it's long term, you know, just that's a reversion to the mean kind of play, then that gives us silver above above $33.
1: Two thousand for gold and thirty-three for silver. Do you always tie your thoughts about the silver price to the ratio, or are you looking at basis and co-basis with the same level of scrutiny as you do with gold? I'm looking at basis and co-basis,
0: but the longer your time horizon, the more that the current basis isn't. You know, current basis, basis and co-basis are essentially telling you what would the market be if you subtract the actions of the speculator. So the speculators are using leverage and they can stretch the price either below or above where it would be if just the buyers and sellers of physical metal had to clear, what would that price be? And that's our monetary metals fundamental price. But as you start to look at, you know, one year and and longer time horizons, the current basis conditions could change, probably will change. And so it becomes more of a macro call, you know, than than a, a strict reading of you're confined to just reading the basis.
1: Gotcha. Well, Keith, those numbers certainly aren't as sexy as some others I've seen, but they certainly seem to be grounded in a lot of thoughtful reason. That's all the time we have today. We thank you for joining us on the Gold Exchange.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Go to goldexchangepodcast.com to learn how
1: you can earn a yield on gold paid in gold.